Welcome to Hard Knock Life. I am your host, Keith Chow. On the show, we'll be talking about all things post-Comic-Con with Dominic Ma. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to point everyone to our Patreon, patreon.com slash nerdsofcolor, where you can find a special live episode, bonus pod from Comic-Con, where we talk to a bunch of people during our annual Nerds of Color meetup, including Karen Mahorn, the Blur Girl, Darianne from Race Bending, Arturo from Racialicious. Uh, basically, it was just me carrying a podcast mic around a Comic-Con party. So go to patreon.com slash nerdscolor to check that out. If you're not a patron, please consider being one. In the meantime, I wanted to share a couple of interviews that we did during the meetup with A Wave Blue World's VP of Sales and Marketing, Lisa Wu, and illustrator Steens, who's going to be appearing in Wave Blue World's Dead Beats Anthology later this fall. I got a chance to talk to both of them. Check it out. And you'll get to hear more from the Comic-Con party on our Patreon. And after my interviews with Lisa and Steens, it's me and Dominic talking about all things Hall H, uh, specifically the Marvel Studios panel. And then uh, that'll be it. So I'm here at the pool club at San Diego Comic-Con with Lisa Wu. I've been trying to get you on Southern Fried Asian for a while, but you're here on Hard Knock Life, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at uh, Wave Blue World Comics. What's up, Lisa? Hey, nothing's up. <laughs> Happiness is up. We're here with Nerds of Color, having a great time, beautiful view in San Diego. So, how's the, how's the show been for you? The show has been great. Got to see a lot of old faces, got to meet a lot of new faces, and introduce them to a wonderful new company, a Wave Blue World. Wave Blue World had a lot of uh, announcements over the last few weeks and months. You joining the team, Joe Illich joining the team. You guys are growing. Uh, Tyler Chin Tanner's company. You guys are like yes. just blowing up. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be our four-month anniversary on the 22nd, and we've got at least two years of work done because it's so funny. Tyler was talking to somebody, he, and everybody's like, oh, I feel like you guys have been doing it for a year. I was like, it feels that way, but... Yeah, we've only been, um, the expansion was just announced four months ago, and Tyler and I, and Joe and Wendy, we really believe in our mission to inspire and empower people to build a better future through comics, and just continually grow the comic book community as much as we can. So, this being San Diego Comic Con's 50th anniversary, what was the biggest highlight for you this show? I know you've been to several of these, and what's what's been the biggest change for you here at Comic Con? The biggest highlight for me is just meeting people like you again because I haven't seen for a very long time I think like San Diego Comic-Con for people in publishing is a reunion people from all over the world that you know we've communicated through Facebook Twitter and all this other stuff and we get to see each other embrace each other's passion for comics movies you know, all of the different fandoms out there the, the biggest change I saw was there's kind of like there's less marketing around. I thought it was the 50th anniversary. I would be bombarded with marketing, advertising, but it looks like there's, it's just, it's a different feel. But I kind of like it because we're in this weird transitional phase where there's less movies, more comics, more TV. It's an interesting time to be in comics and I'm really happy that I'm part of it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Lisa, I'm going to let you to it. It's a, we're, we're about to have some fun here at the pool club. Thank you for uh, just stopping by. We're going to get you on the podcast in proper, yes, full absolutely. Southern Fried Asian represented It'll be VA. It will be an absolute honor. <laughs> Thank you for talking with us. Thank you. Back here at the pool club, San Diego Comic-Con, Nerds of Color Hangout. Here with Steens in the house. Hey. Thank you for showing up. How's it going? How's it going? 
going? How's your Comic-Con been? Great, great. I'm actually taking it easy. Instead of 10 panels, I'm on six. So, you know. You're slacking. I know, I know. What's wrong with me? <laughs> We're just talking with Lisa Wu. She says, you're blowing up. How does it feel to be blowing up? Uh, like waking up in the morning. It's nothing to me. <laughs> Stay humble. That's right. What is, I don't know that word. What is that? <laughs> So, you know, we were just talking with Wave Blue World. You're in a, their anthology. Tell me about your story in their anthology. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm working with my creative partner, Ivy Noel Weir, again. And it's a very moody, creepy story about a young woman who ends up getting haunted by this piece of music. She feels she has to play it over and over and over again. And it, it overwhelms her and takes her over. And, uh, yeah, it's a six-page story. It's uh, really cool to be able to work in more of a, a creepy, darker, grittier style than I was doing with Archive of Quality. So, and it's also one of the first things we're doing since Archive of Quality. So. so, like, what's the, for you, is there a difference between doing, like, long-form stories and short stories? I can do a lot more experimentation with mm -hmm. short stories. You know, I really played with the gutters. I played with what lighting does because it, it, you only have six pages. You can kind of do whatever you want, yeah. you know? When you're working with a graphic novel, you have to think long-term. you got to think, how does the beginning look compared to the middle, compared to the end? And when it's, like, 200 pages, that's a lot, <laughs> you know? So There's an economy to, like, the short story. Story, right? Absolutely. You can do a little bit of everything in a six-page story, for sure. What else do we have looking forward to in the future for you? So, I, uh, I'm agented now, so I'm going to be uh, pitching a couple of things, and fingers crossed that goes well in the near future. Uh, but in the meantime, I've been working with a lot of indie publishers, so I'm editing uh, a graphic novel adaption of uh, the first lesbian gumshoe novel. I'm doing that with uh, Bedside Press, with Hope Nicholson and Amanda Dybert and more. Uh, working with Bleeding Heart Press, working with Street Noise Books, so, oh, also working with individuals as well if they need help getting their pitches together. So, doing the best I can, making sure that the best comics come out for Doing all the Lord's work. That's right. <laughs> Keep it up. That's uh, right. All right, well, thank you for joining us, Dean. Absolutely. Uh, have some fun here at the pool club, hanging out Will with do. us nerds of color. Of course, of course. Appreciate you. you no problem. <laughs> this is the post-San Diego Comic-Con special edition of the podcast joining us once again we actually got to hang out this time in san diego please welcome back dominic ma hi everyone that was a fun comic-con huh are you recovered <laughs> yeah i feel all right you know it's it's a physically exhausting weekend always for people who don't know it's just a lot of walking around in the sun and walking to and fro and i mean it's all good exercise but sure. um and massive crowds <laughs> <laughs> but that's just you know how how that works i'm going to paraphrase a tweet i saw by the writer mark bernardin uh the other day but basically his apple watch was like sixteen thousand steps great job and the next day eight steps what are you dead because <laughs> that's pretty much that's pretty much what happened to me like for five days in a row i was i was knocking out my uh daily step goals yeah. and yesterday and today like i can't even get out of bed yeah. So. <laughs> and again, we're, we're all nerds. So we have like relative levels of physical activity, which may be suboptimum in the normal. So <laughs> nothing else. San Diego Comic Con gets our basic walking uh, cardio like it, re, you know, reactivates <laughs> that ability. So, um. yeah, Comic Con is weird, too, because every year I feel like this is my last one. I'm never coming back. And then, you know, you get into that post Comic Con funk where you're like, oh, I got to see all my friends and hang out with cool people, you know, I'm actually going to look forward to it now. I can't wait to come back next year. And then sometime between now and July 2020, yeah, I'll probably be dreading <laughs> having yeah. to go to Comic-Con again. No, I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> 
And you were in a weird headspace going into this Comic-Con this year, weren't you? Yeah, particularly this year. Um, yeah, I was in quite a mood just uh, around beginning of last week, basically because you know, our president went super racist. I mean, which is not really new, but, you know. That's a supervillain name, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and racist. yeah, let's, I mean, and, you know, the other day is just tossing out casually about how he's going to nuke countries. I mean, he's for real, dude, is as far as supervillains go. Um, but Agent he... Orange. <laughs> There's so many, so yeah, many, so many villain tropes are fit. <laughs> Got the mass nuclear destruction one, the mass chemical weapon one. It's, it's going to, it's going to, yeah, exactly. The, the purple man-ish sort of control freak thing. This is going to go to dark place really quick. I'll try to not to keep there. This is about pop culture and comic books well yeah but like purple man at least like purple man and jessica jones he's also a rapist yep yep he's also a racist the he's analogy all the is just all completely goes towards trump is that super villain that yeah. is in the comic book and so we found a way you know to insult our squad of freshman congresswomen including aoc and Yohan Omar and Ayanna Presley and Rashida Tilly um just went super racist and it kind of, and again not that he's not always being super racist but managed to find a cute new variation by recycling you know some of the oldest frat boy racist tropes there are like go back where you came from I'm not racist I'm not racist but really go back where you came from because you hate our country and this shit you know this also you know, happens, you know, I have my, I have my fair amount of casually racist encounters with dudes in bars, you know, as I think every person of color in America does. And, you know, I have a few, I would say a month that, that are all some variation of where are you from? Where are you really from? Right, right. I'm eventually, eventually edging towards, well, why don't you go back there? And they're not listening. And, they, and I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Chinese Asian. This is kind of like the, the typical interaction with the uh you know i'll just say the drunk white dude in the bar who, <laughs> who doesn't even care and that's the thing like that's trump trump is the drunk white guy at the bar who doesn't yeah care. yeah so anyway all this to say and and so then he's picking a fight and saying go back to where you came from which is really really wrong and resonates with so many people of color in this country because it's just like the thing you run into everywhere and you can't get away from it. And every time there seems to be progress, then like suddenly Trump is president. But to think about what launched his presidential campaign, what launched his political career, this is the logical next step to birtherism, right? Oh, he yeah. He spent eight years questioning the legitimacy of Barack Obama because there's no way a black man could have been president of the United States without some sort of, as if, you know, he, he took the right. easy route because he's named Barack Hussein Obama, right. who's black, born in Hawaii. Right. Of course, that's such an easy, the, the conspiracy of his, you know, Ann Dunham and Barack Obama Sr. 50 years ago to, <laughs> to fake a birth certificate so that one day he would become president and install the deep, like, it doesn't, it's of the worst kind of conspiracy theory because yeah most conspiracy theories so have up. to have some sort of like logical sense that makes you understand why someone would believe it you know what i mean like yeah you know the moon landing was done on a soundstage okay that's plausible <laughs> maybe yeah and you know what like I, I i can vibe with that conspiracy theory i don't know why that just has to be like you know super right wing or left wing 
associated. Right. I'm not against conspiracy theories. Right, right. Or, you know, I'm just <laughs> overall. saying. Overall. Like, the bullet that killed JFK, you know, and how it like yeah, how it traveled it was, from the depository to the car. Like all those yeah, things. Yeah, it was controlled by Magneto and went yeah. seven different directions yeah, yeah, at once. That, yeah. That's that, one's we see even that, that one is weird, but like I get it. That's an interesting but, story. But this idea that like what is even the origin of the it's the, and that's the thing, it's not a conspiracy. It's just pure racism. Yeah, totally. That's you know, and, and I and I hate that the press covered it as a conspiracy or and you know, it's not it's never been that. It's always been and even birtherism is a dumb name. It is. It's Donald Trump did not believe a black man could be president, so he came up with all this bullshit to to delegitimize him. And honestly, as an Asian American, one of the reasons I identified with Obama so much, because, you know, you have to remember the birtherism shit started even before Trump came on the scene because there was rumblings oh, yeah, sure. out of the Clinton campaign during sure. the primaries. But that resonated for me, to your point, the whole idea of like, you're not really American. That's something as an Asian American, we feel acutely, you know. The perpetual foreigner is a stereotype, is one of the five major Asian stereotypes, right? Yeah. So, so this is just the logical next step to birtherism. It was like Trump has traded in the dog whistle for the mega yeah. megaphone from, from the beginning of his campaign. So, like, yeah, I'm not surprised, <laughs> you know. I'm glad that the press is calling out as racist and no longer using like racially charged or racially infused or racially sous vide. You know what yeah. I mean? I feel like that's <laughs> uh, racial foam. Gastronomical <laughs> <laughs> racism. It says it's just racist foam, dudes. It's it's, it's, it's so right. But now Small they're calling comfort. it out. And yeah. you know, to to bring the metaphor back full circle, you know, we said that Agent Orange is this kind of like super villainy trope that we're dealing with. But I actually view AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, and Ilhan Omar, quote unquote, the squad. That's a, that's their superhero team name. Oh, yeah. And because they really are. I mean, jokingly or not, right? Like Saturday Night Live had a sketch uh, after the election. I think Devil's Due does a, a Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comic book. But I think the, the metaphor fits because they're the only ones actually fighting back against injustice, which is what superheroes are supposed to do. It does. The- it absolutely fits. So to bring it back to Comic-Con. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I was just going to mention one more thing and then, then we'll start talking more about comic books and Shang-Chi and stuff. I do think that like Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Presley and Talib, like they they really are cuz we have to remember what started this too is uh Trump injecting himself into a fight between Pelosi and the squad. Yeah. And yeah. and that's what and on the one hand I'm kind of glad people have forgotten about that because I was actually I was actually in a bad mood two weeks ago before this whole thing happened because I was like, why the fuck is Pelosi coming after them? If anything, like, you know, I understand, you know, yes, there are moderates in the Democratic Party. <laughs> that would be the uh, the the Civil War trope. Of, yeah, of, like, <laughs> of I wish Tony hero. and Steve would just get along. Yeah, yeah, know? part of that. You know, you both have a point. You're both kind of wrong. Captain America is <laughs> a little bit more right than you. Anyway. Right, right, right. And then fucking so he didn't let the racist thing go and just... Today he's talking to kids, kids, conservative kids wearing MAGA hats. I just saw it in the news. And that just makes me sad again because I like going to, you know, he's saying the same old shit that are going to make these kids grow up to be racist. And, yeah. you know, I just want to say to those kids, just like, go read a fucking comic book. Put aside, don't read any more Donald Trump tweets. Go read <laughs> Champions or Runaways or... Captain Marvel or Miss Marvel, because there you will see, you know, what America is about. And um, anyway, I was just was in this upset mood about the state of the world. And, you know, 
rooting for our squad. And then I was like, oh, I have to go to Comic-Con, which, <laughs> you know, the most completely like insular, isolated island of escapism <laughs> in America. You know, woohoo, we're like really, <laughs> we're, we're, we're really on a different planet. You know what I mean? So there's a sort of a cognitive like mode you have to get into. But, you know, it's really interesting, though, because I know you just said like you read a comic book, but, you know, we were probably in what year five or six since Gamergate. It's been like two or three years since Comicsgate, you know? And what I actually, what I kind of love about Comic-Con is that if you just experience fan culture online, you might think if you like walk into a comic, a place like Comic-Con, you may run into like the comic skaters or the gamer gators. Mm -hmm. But to my, to my experience, at least for the five years in a row that I've gone and that's been in the, you know, like I said, in the peak peak Gamergate, peak Comicsgate period. Yeah. Not only have I not encountered it, like the overwhelming feeling that I get from all the fans there is acceptance, like promoting one another. So we did the Rally for Rose. We were marching and chanting representation matters and people were cheering Yeah, on the freaking, you know, boardwalk next to the bay. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those people aren't necessarily even Comic-Con goers, right? Like that's public space. Yeah. And people were cheering. So like, I think that, it can be depressing to think about like the small, tiny minority of voices who are backwards looking, who are, you know, the, the, the Trumpist mentality, you know, but it's just a matter of how do we mobilize the rest of us to not let that small voice be the loudest in the room. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, partially to your point, I mean, I agree in my experience, I haven't run into too much of those, uh, Gamergate, Comicsgate types, IRL, again, supporting the idea that they don't really exist or are afraid to come out into the world <laughs> or, you know, their, their, their voice is definitely amplified by a thousand bots, which really seriously don't even exist. So let's remember that, you know, Comic-Con is a in the world event. It's people. And again, just to, you know, I have perhaps the most sentimental view of it. And it's highly debatable point. I would love to debate it with someone who thinks that comic books do not help you get woke. I think they do because again acceptance and open-mindedness mm-hmm. is the main rule of the land when we're all together you know dressing up as a uh, comic book characters you know because we've all you know i'd like uh, i like to think again this is a little romanticized but like the true comic fan has already entertained the idea of a person you know with shape-shifting powers and who has like you know flaming star powers so if you get that in at an early age it's not too much of a leap to have your mind open to people of different backgrounds. <laughs> you know, and I've said this, I've always said this, but like the idea that social justice warrior as a pejorative never made sense because especially in the, in the context of like those of us who are nerds who love comics and superheroes. Cause like social justice warrior is the dopest sounding superhero squad name. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's, it's, like... pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> so like, the, but the fact that people throw it around as a, as a pejorative, like tells you that they don't understand the whole point of a Superman or a yeah. Spider-Man or a Batman. Yeah. I mean, to that point, I think Snowflake is a pretty cool designation too. I mean, if you're like, <laughs> a, if you're like an Asian Snowflake or something. But you know, <laughs> again, this is just, this is just trying to like reclaim certain words, which unfortunately, like sometimes we get on this like Team A gets to use these words and Team B gets to use these words. You know, I'm a writer person, so I don't think about it like that. Um, but yes, definitely, we can be more uh, open-minded and dexterous with our our vocabulary than that no but for sure and i think with there's this whole idea especially as the nerds of color we get this a lot you know when we were 
promoting Asian American Iron Fist or whatever it is. Like we always get the like SJWs ruining superheroes, right? Sure. And what I loved about this year's Comic-Con is that the biggest news, I think, bar none, easy, was the Phase 4 announcement in Hall H for Marvel Cinematic Universe. Agreed. And what I love about Phase 4, it looks like, is that it's the SJWs ruining Marvel. Because all of the announcements, (laughs) like there were more people of color on stage in Hall H that day, that night, than ever in a Marvel Studios panel. You had Chloe Zhao on stage. You had Simu Liu, who is Shang-Chi, which we're going to talk about in a minute. You had uh, Mahersha Ali on stage. You had Brian Tyree Henry on stage, Don Lee on like, And then you had Jane Foster, Thor, you know, Tessa Thompson being a queer king of Asgard. Like you had all of these things on stage at the same time. And that's something. And this is without having like Captain Marvel and Black Panther mm-hmm. in the house, you know? Right. They didn't even speak of the sequels. They were kind of introducing new stuff. Right. Very, very much a new phase was the vibe. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, like, not just like numerically, like, oh, we're getting to phase four now, but we're going to like branch out in a way that, you know, distinguishes this phase. Right. <laughs> even though, to be fair, there have been three Blade movies. Don't, don't anyone start with like, this is the, like the first black superhero. Right, right. Like, well, we all, we all, we all <laughs> vaguely remember there were three Blade movies back in the way, but it's a totally good idea to try again with Mr. Ali because he's great. Well, but I think with Blade too, I mean, this is the consolidation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And now yeah. that they literally finally own all of their properties again, they can actually create a singular universe without having to farm out the others. So now that Blade is back in the universe, it, it also implies that vampires exist in the MCU, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that, that that's ripe with potential. <laughs> But that's not going to happen for a couple years, I think. Right now, the next, the first one, interestingly, the first one is the one that's got all the white people in it, ex- except for Scarlett yes. Johansson. She's the only non-white person in uh, in Black Widow, <laughs> which is the first movie coming out next year. Yeah. <laughs> I still love ScarJo too. That's me being sentimental, and we can talk we well, unpack that as much as you want. But it was like it was like the worst timing too, because. Just like three days before Comic-Con, speaking of like racism in the world, this interview with ScarJo came out where she was like bemoaning the fact that white people can't play everything, essentially. <laughs> like, why can't I play a tree? Uh, and of course, she famously played a Japanese character and a trans character. or was going to play a trans character before that project yeah. got canceled, uh, but actually succeeded in playing a Japanese character. <laughs> and that movie only got canceled after it came out. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it was just this bad timing because everyone was like, you know, she's going to be on Hall H in three days, and you know, someone's going to ask her about this. So they had to do some uh, PR cleanup, I'm sure. But was she actually there in the Hall H? She was there. She was there. I, I didn't the see Black all Widow the pictures. And and yes, I would agree that they, I'm sure they purposely slightly de emphasized their Black Widow release information, or rather, it, it's because it is the next one coming out next year, right? Yeah, it's the first one of Phase right. 4. So probably, you know, they, they weighed everything together and um, managed to figure out how they would couch it. I just want to go on the record really quick saying that I do like ScarJo. And I get all that. And I get all that. And I can talk <laughs> about people. I tell you, I can talk with you about it if you want. Um, but I'd like to zoom back for a second and contextualize and say a lot of these thorny, bad representation casting things that we debate about. We debate the public face of the actor. A lot of these things are done by agents and producers oh sure casting casting directors have a lot of fault right can i just get that out there so i mean like it's easy because everyone knows who scarjo is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but she's an actor like the part of it that is 
still outside of her control, even though she's a megastar. It's like, you know, actors, it is their job. You get offers. Like, I'm going to this part. It's not, uh, I, I might want to do this part. This sure. Stuff. I mean, but I think, but someone like a Scarlett, and this is where I will push back a little bit, is that I think someone like Scarlett Johansson has the power to advocate for others. She absolutely like, could. She could make more of a noise about it. She yeah. could definitely say more about it if she wanted to. Right. Look at Ed Screen, right? Like, he is not a famous yeah. actor. He was one of the people who got recast on Game of Thrones. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not a sure. huge guy. But he passed up the, the, the opportunity to play a Japanese-American character in Hellboy. Granted, the Hellboy movie turned out terrible. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe that was the ulterior reason, honestly. But no, but, the, but he got a lot of props for that because he was like, you know, when I found out, like, to your point, he didn't know going in, his agent and the casting director was like, yeah, let's have this guy read for the part. Yeah. And and then it was later he found, oh, this is actually an Asian guy. Well, let me not take the part. Like, that was a big deal for someone like him who's who's an up-and-coming actor. But if you're ScarJo and you can you can get, like, if you have this mystical, you know, what they call box office clout, you can say, you can pick and choose your projects. So the fact that she wants to, you know, who, the, if the person I'd be worried about is Vin Diesel because she's like, I want to be a tree. And he's like, yo, I am a tree. <laughs> that that would be a weird debate too because it would just be like but i can play a tree but i'm Groot. but but like what's the you know what are the you know dynamics and what are the, hey, that's, what your are the next, that's your next that's your next that's your next uh stage play is yeah, just let's, scarlett let's johansson and vin diesel arguing back and forth about playing a that'll tree. be a very lively debate did they, <laughs> did they even mention the premise of the black widow movie because i was watching the end game the other day and i was really realizing we don't know for sure that hulk didn't bring her to life accidentally with infinity gauntlets who knows what actually will happen you know kevin feige has announced things at comic-con and then they've kind of reconfigured after the fact so but what they announced for black widow it's the first film of phase four comes out may 1st 2020 so it's the next one it takes place in between Civil War and Infinity War. Oh, so it's the well. period. And then and then it's going to have flashbacks upon that because it's going to the, the, the modern time, the, the current time in the movie will be between Civil and Infinity. But it'll have a flashback to Budapest because that's the famous. Oh, yeah, we've always wondered about Budapest. Black Widow. They keep talking about it. Right. So it's going to be a flashback upon flashback. And then it's going to have David Harbour from Stranger Things playing the Red Guardian. Fascinating. It's going to have uh, Rachel Vice is it? I'm not sure who she's playing, um, but the villain she is going to just be... be named Rachel Vice. Really, let's let's <laughs> see. that's a great Black Widow universe name. And they showed some uh, concept art of what Taskmaster is going to look like, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, it's it's weird. It's going to be the first Marvel movie that's well, it's not the first that's a flashback, but it's the first that like an established character. Then we're going back into because at least with, like Carol Danvers, we didn't know who she was, so we needed the backstory. Sure. Well, that's why I was confused, because I thought maybe, like, by accident, they could just say, oh, Hulk wasn't trying to Infinity Glove her back, but he did accidentally, because the Infinity Glove has omnipotent powers and can do anything. And, like, she'd get snapped back, but, like, half-formed half, half formed on some island, and it would be kind of a... Or, or maybe he, he snapped her back, and she, she woke up in 2016. It was like, it's like Quantum Leap. Right, right. She <laughs> woke up in the wrong year. That's possible, too. I don't know. I was just... I was just, you know, spitballing out all these ideas because I was trying to think, like, you know, all the Marvel movies have some little, like, achievement unlocked towards the larger story. You know what I mean? They all have a function. So I was wondering what Black Widow's function was going to be in the yeah. big story. It is a weird way to kick off your next phase of movies, though, to go backwards, you know, because, like, what 
does the story of the Black Widow movie have to contribute to whatever the next phase is? You know what I mean? Like, that's where it's... Exactly. Because, again, with Captain Marvel, it was like you were introduced to her because you didn't know her backstory because she was going to have a significant role in the next movie. Although it wasn't as significant as we all thought it was going to be, <laughs> ultimately. Yeah. But you needed to have that kind of backstory. That made sense. But why kick off phase four exploring the backstory of Black Widow? So, But, you know, I mean, it's a movie... It's a movie that they've been wanting to do for 10 years. So yeah. here we are. I'm foolishly optimistic. Again, like, I think they they will find out some reason or not. I mean, like, I've, you know, my Marvel movie thing is, like, sort of, like, grading liquors. There's, like, the top shelf movies, like Captain Marvel and Black Panther, which, like, do a lot, carry a lot of weight, and tell you a lot of story. And then there are some, like, filler ones, can we agree? Like, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange might be considered more on the filler level. And... You know, which means just like they're pretty okay. So I am I I have no idea whether Black Widow in, by my grading system will be pretty okay or like top shelf because it like puts a twist or give you gives you some new piece of information. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's a good question. I have I have no idea. But the one thing too is that she's the only of the main six Avengers that's going to have a movie focus on her at least in the next year. Right. That's the interesting piece about Black Widow. She's, uh, she's also the only one who's even partly Russian, and probably that's all we'll be dealing with all next year anyway. So <laughs> maybe maybe the whole movie will get... Uh... Yeah, which, you know, this that, that that's Shut a sore spot for me, honestly, because I always thought... I know you just said... We just had this long conversation about how you actually like Scarlett Johansson. I always thought she was not the right actor for the role. Yeah. No, no, no. Fair enough. Yeah. Because Natasha's supposed... And this movie is going to explore the fact that she was this KGB assassin. And and Scarlett Johansson was like three years old when the Berlin Wall fell. So it's like, right. I, how was she a three year old assassin? Was she like a toddler assassin? Right. And it goes back to this idea that like when they cast women in these roles are always like in their 20s. And then the men are all in their 50s. You know what I mean? That <laughs> yes, there's dynamic. that. But for me, the, the one actress I always wanted as Black Widow, I always saw as Black Widow was Mila Jovovich. Oh, totally. Totally. Because <laughs> she's actually Russian, too. <laughs> and she's. Yeah. Her age is right that it wouldn't be weird when like uh, now when you watch back Iron Man 2 and it seems very gross uh, and it's definitely a pre Me Too movie when you see the way Tony Stark and Natasha interact that a little overly meets cute and right and then then that's seductive right and that he's like she's his assistant and he's 30 years older than her it's a little gross right at least like I feel like Mila they're they're more similar in age and maybe wouldn't read so much as like gross yeah. and more like because you know he pepper was his assistant he married her <laughs> you know true, but at least that. but like gwyneth and rdj are, are more contemporary so it doesn't seem as predatory yeah and mila was very much is very much an action star and yeah like she did she do this like six resident evil movies or something or... <laughs> yeah i mean you can debate her ability to act but that was you know like you can debate all the right you don't need great ability to act <laughs> you don't need great range when you're it's in the about charm charm yeah so anyway yeah, need charm. anyway <laughs> talking about russians i mean and the fact that she's actually russian i thought it was just an opportunity missed to cast someone who could have been a perfect black widow that said uh we're going to forget about that for now and we're going to move on to the next film in f- phase four it's only the other film coming out in 2020 comes out november 5th it's the eternals directed by chloe Zhao, starring angelina jolie and richard madden and everybody and everybody i honestly don't really know a lot about the Eternals. I know like they're kind of the Marvel version of Jack Kirby's new gods in a way. Uh, yeah. 
a good good analogy. Yeah, and, and ex- Kevin Feige said they're going full on Jack Kirby, which is great because like if Thor Ragnarok proved anything, is that you can you can fully realize Jack Kirby in a cinematic way. It only makes me more excited, honestly. And then we're talking about Marvel, but it makes me more excited for Ava DuVernay's new actual new gods movie coming out mm. eventually but we won't talk about that for now right, eternals right. you're you are very excited about the eternals yeah i would say i'm more excited about eternals than even shang chi in a way or mm-hmm. just in just in the that selection of the marvel things that got announced because of the story again because of the source material i mean the eternals is a huge story it's cosmic it's again it's one of those things where like they're seven different creation myths about super powerful beings in the Marvel universe. And we've got the infinity stones when well taken care of, we met the grandmaster and collectors and stuff. And we've got the Asgardians. Oh, look, there are also the Eternals, which is this whole other thing, which is more based on, um, I guess, classic Greek Roman mythology, mythology, because they all have oddly spelled names, (laughs) versions of Mercury and Icarus (laughs) and Circe and all these things. And, you know, so again, just like the new gods. Because the thing in in, um, DC, like the Greek gods actually, the Greek gods are characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Like the Amazon, like Wonder Woman is uh, directly descendant of... um, So I guess this is, do you think the Eternals are similar to like the way Marvel uses Asgardians? Um, maybe, I don't know. And here's the big storytelling challenge. And I, again, I don't know why I have all this weird, unfounded optimism today. I think they'll (laughs) find a way to make it a really good story because the challenge is it's introducing this whole cosmic foundational story in one movie, which we have heard basically nothing about in the first three phases. And it's the, the Eternals are the kind of thing, if you know any deep Marvel shit, you can... You can start it any year. You could start it 3 billion years ago. You could start it only 100,000 years ago. They've been with the Earth because of the Celestials and the Deviants or something forever. So it's that kind of huge story. On the other hand, you know, you look at that time they made a movie about a bunch of their B-list characters that basically no one cared about real much, but it was one of their best movies, Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, right. So it's completely possible that it just sort of out of thin air, they can, you know, introduce a whole universe. And the cool thing is that it looks like they're trying to make it a very POC, very diverse kind of purposely race and gender bent cast of the Eternals. Right. And what what's also cool is they've cast a disabled actress who will be playing the character of Makari. Yeah, who canonically is their version of Mercury, the super speedster, and is a guy in a red suit. Now she's going to be a deaf black woman in the movie. Yeah, why not? Which is cool. Uh, Yeah, I mean, one of the cool things about the Eternals is that Richard Madden and Angelina Jolie were the only two white people on stage Mm -hmm. because the director, Chloe Zhao, is Asian-American. Don Lee is Korean. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani is in it. Brian Tyree Henry's in it. Did we say Salma Hayek already? Salma Hayek is in it. She's Salma playing Ajax. Hayek is in the Eternals. That's She's the leader. Awesome. The, I don't even know who's who. I there's there are a lot of Eternals, but they all spell their names weirdly. So here's who's who. Angelina Jolie is playing Thena. Okay. Richard Madden is playing Icarus. Salma Hayek is playing yeah. Ajax. Kumail Nanjiani is playing Kingo. Okay. Brian Tyree Henry is playing Phaestus. Uh, Don Lee is Gilgamesh, Lauren Ridloff is Makari, and Leah McHugh is Sprite. Yeah. Again, so it's a real interesting thing. Like, you know, Icarus 
presumptively would be the lead in traditional you know movie making he's like the you know square jawed blonde male super powered yeah. guy however they they can you know they can flip that in any number of ways given the signs they're already showing of recasting yeah. and uh you know i mean i don't know that richard madden will dye his hair but like that's the thing is they're they're treating angelina jolie and richard madden as the leads like they're the first to announce even though osama hayek is technically playing the leader of the eternals so it, it is a little weird that like the two white people are the only leads quote unquote <laughs> right but again star lord is sort of the leader of guardians of the galaxy but he like <laughs> right right he takes the piss out of himself so much it's kind of it let me ask works. you this though because like similar to guardians like it's like a white guy surrounded by people of color but the problem with guardians in that in the representation sense is that all the pocs are aliens and not just yeah. not just aliens in the sense that like <laughs> thor's an alien but i mean like they're different colors. They're like yeah, they're green, all green. And purple, and blue, right. right? Do the Eternals resemble human? I know that Icarus resembles a human. He, like you said, he's the, the most prototypical superhero-y looking of the Eternals. But are the others like the ones that Kamel Nanjiani is going to play? That Byron Tyree Henry is going to play? Are they going to be able to play themselves? Or are they going to be like lathered in like green makeup? Oh, uh, again, disclaimer: my knowledge is based on pretty old canon Kirby era sure, Eternals. Sure, sure. I haven't read any of the comics recently, so I don't know what's going on. There, um, the Eternals are like gods. They're not are like our classic idea of gods. They're not. I don't think they have a lot of makeups. They're makeup, and they're not, you know, mutants per se. Mm -hmm. Again, here's a weird thing where their story might possibly reflect the Captain Marvel story, and they might have to figure out a way to to embrace that or to do a new variation on it. Because the on the other side of the Eternals is, you know. The deviants who typically they're the are the bad guys. Yeah, and they're just the mutants. You know, they're the mutated, weird, monster-looking people. <laughs> Obviously, this sets us up for a sort of classically weird imaging of you know Fellowship of the Ring versus the Dark Orc thing. Right, right. and that's how it was in the classic comics. I have a suspicion they're going to change that up again, much in the way that the scrolls were changed up from you know typically the terrorist othered people to oh well those people have a pretty important story too yeah and again <laughs> and i so i don't think it'll be like the humans and again it all i'm <laughs> sorry sorry marvel tv you're just it made everything more confusing again it's really easy to confuse the the whole inhuman storyline with the Eternals and the Deviants too, but I, I don't think they actually cross over as much. Yeah, I think I think the Inhumans is a thing of the past, even yeah, in, in mind. Like, <laughs> is it one we don't speak of anymore? <laughs> well, because they got the they got the mutants back. So, like, one of the reasons I think four years ago they made such a big play for the Inhumans is that that was going to replace the mutants in the MCU since they had no access right, right. to the X Men. They were just going to be like, all right, fine. Because if you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they basically treat Inhumans as if they're mutants, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, there's this whole persecution against Inhumans and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think now that they've gotten the mutants, and Kevin Feige even was like, we didn't even say what we're going to do with Fantastic Four and the mutants. So he's yeah. clearly signaled they're going to nice. be working with them. They don't even need the Inhumans anymore. So that's they're, they're going to leave that in the past where it belongs. Yeah, totally. No, that scans me. Yeah, and that like that was, was not a good show. But it was notable in the in some of the some of the idea was okay. Like uh oh well, you know, multiracial cast and yes, they're playing various people of various alien <laughs> the, right, right, right. makeup levels of alien makeup on. Um so just as a template, there's a few things going on there. And so I I mean just to bring it back, I'm very curious what they'll do with a race bent, color bent 
gender bent version of the classic Eternals, and then how they relate with the Deviants and the Celestials, which is an old school word for Chinese people. I'll just throw that out there. (laughs) I have no idea whether they'll even get into that part. Much Chinese Marvel content to come, sorry. (laughs) When they hired Chloe Zhao, that was was my first thought. Like, I wonder if they're going to bring in Celestials and make them all Asian. You know what that's about, right? That that scans. Speaking of Asian, the next movie. Well, uh, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna pause because we're gonna. I want to go in chronological order. Okay. The, the next movie in Phase Four comes out in February 2021. But there's actually one of the cool things about their Marvel Studios panel this year is that they were not only announcing their movies this year, but there are actual TV shows that are part of Phase Four. So to your point about Agents of Shield, Inhumans, and the Netflix shows, like they were never they were never announced in coordination with whatever phase announcement that happened at either right. Comic-Con or D23. So this is officially Marvel Studios. These these films were going to lead into the shows, and the shows are going to lead into the films. And the first one is coming out in the fall of 2020, and it's called, and we all knew it was called, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And the logo is the Captain America shield. So it's clearly taking place mm. after the events of Endgame, where Steve Rogers passed the shield onto Sam Wilson Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie came out on stage and kind of joked about who's going to be wielding the shield. So that might be a running (laughs) gag in the show. Sure. Although Falcon will be wearing a costume similar to his Captain America costume in the comics. Cool. So that's cool. So that's, that's the very first. We saw a great cosplay of at the, at the convention, by the way. Yeah. And that's the first Disney plus show. That's officially part of phase four. What's your opinion as someone who loves your Marvel TV shows? Oh Yeah. These are going to be officially sanctioned Marvel. They they don't have to pretend that these shows exist in the MCU. These are going to be fully fleshed out MCU shows. What's your opinion of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? It's called the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's the name of it. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm into it. You know, I mean, I do have to strategize a little bit how I'm going to absorb that section of Disney content. And, you know, probably (laughs) all my reservations have to do with... um, associations with the disney channel or any cable disney channel this is this is probably an outdated problem because disney probably owns like yeah. a whole bunch of cable shows that right yeah, now yeah, yeah. i mean you watch the shows on freeform that's awesome i do i do <laughs> and so it's just the whole like the actual word disney floating atop the marvel right, shows right. thing that I have a few things about i don't know like whether they can get a really exciting like winter soldierish story out of that concept i can't i i honestly don't know how i feel about that well i think I he's, a few I thoughts about wandavision but actually i don't have a bunch of thoughts about all about the any of the shows perspective of marvel shows the coolest thing about the falcon winter soldier announcement is that he wasn't on stage but they did show a video of daniel Brühl, and he was wearing the purple baron zemo mask Oh, cool. So I like that mask. Not only is he coming back, but he's going to be coming back as actual Baron Zemo this time and not just like, you know, sad well, excellent. husband who lost his family <laughs> and, man- and manipulates the Avengers. He's actually going to be like full on Baron Zemo with purple mask and all. So that's yeah. pretty cool. And, I don't, and, you know, even though it's called Falcon and Winter Soldier, I don't think Bucky is the Winter Soldier. He's going to be Bucky. So they're not going to be like playing into the whole you know, Winter Soldier thing. But he's not the only Winter Soldier, as we know from watching. Well, but Baron Zemo, didn't he kill the other Winter Soldiers in Civil War? Wasn't that what happened? Decoy for introducing the other Winter Soldiers as their opponents. So yeah, so that's that's the uh, the fall of 2020. That takes us into 2021. The movie that comes out in 2021, the February 21st, I think it is? Well, I, I read they were planning February to 12th. get it on Chinese New Year, yeah. on Lunar New Year, right, that right. is. So February 12th, 2021, 
Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings comes out in theaters. That same spring WandaVision comes out on Disney Plus. But so that's the spring of 2021. You're gonna have yeah. Shang-Chi and then you're getting WandaVision. Let's start with Shang-Chi, of course. That's the thing. That's the thing you and I have been waiting to talk about for the last like 45 minutes. Let's, Heck yeah. That's not front. <laughs> we, ever since you started appearing on this podcast, it feels like we've been talking about Shang-Chi. Now we know not only who's going to be playing Shang-Chi, but can kind of sense what the story is going to be about because not only is it called Shang-Chi, it's called Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And they've cast Tony Leung Chi Wai from Hong Kong as the Mandarin. Amazing. That's pretty fucking cool. Yes. And for folks at home, sorry, I just got to call you out, Keith. When you we were at the meetup <laughs> at Comic-Con, actually reading about this news on Twitter, Keith did very close to a jig. I mean, I don't know what a classic Irish jig looks like. He did a kind of acrobatic, like, dance around the bar. Just, and I, 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 I don't know if it was uh, just joy or shock or what. It seemed like it was a bunch of different things. Anyway, I it thought was that was very ref- It was reflective. Yes, it was all the motions at once. It was everything because Tony Lung is everything. He and is the everything. idea of him doing the Mandarin, this iconic Marvel character, which has a lot of places it could go wrong and a lot of places it could go right, is very exciting to me. At the least, it's exciting. Speaking of that meetup, because that is, yeah, we were, we were having our Nerds of Color meetup as the panel was going on just around the corner, actually. Yeah. Literally around. It was happening like not 100 yards from where we were standing. And Jamie Noguchi, the comic book artist who was actually attending the event with us, he was not happy that the Mandarin was going to be in the movie because he rightly so feels like the Mandarin is one of the worst kind of depictions of Asians in comics like ever. Totally and, valid argument. And, you know, his question is, how do you unfuck the Mandarin, right? Because the Mandarin is such a, like, that's kind of what they did in Iron Man 3. It was like, they almost acknowledged, well, he's such a racist trope that the only way we can use him in the movie is to kind of make it make it a joke, right? Like, it's really yeah. Trevor, the failed actor, blah, 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 blah. I actually responded and I said, well, the first way you unfuck the mandarin is you cast tony learn <laughs> yes that's absolutely first step on unfucking that whole problem <laughs> you absolutely get a guy like that to play it because i've Massive always said, star beloved in the whole eastern hemisphere of movies probably <laughs> well it's the same thing that i you know because we we rightly gave marvel shit for casting tilda swinton as the ancient one sure you know and their their excuse was always well if you cast a Chinese man to play or an Asian man, because that's, that's a whole other minefield because he's actually Tibetan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you cast an Asian person, an Asian man to play the ancient one, you're going to accuse us of being racist. So right. let's cast Tilda Swinton. So we won't be racist. And my argument, my counter argument was like, well, that's still racist because yeah. if you're going to write the role so that someone of Tilda Swinton's character would want to play it, then, then it's not a problem. Then it's not a stereotype. Like it would have been a stereotype if he just speaks in aphorisms and you yeah. know, and heavily accented, you know, uh, broken English. That's what those kinds of characters typically are. Yeah. But if you were like, but if you're making this complex, three dimensional, fleshed out character, and then go, but then we have to give it to a white person. Then that, then you're showing yourself as racist because you're thinking that only the complicated, three dimensional characters can be played by white people. Oh, yeah, no, it's totally racism by erasure. And this I have a big beef with that whole thing. I'm totally with you on 
what you just said in the you know they did it twice in doctor strange that's why they took out nico minora's mother too and again this mm-hmm. that's just i'm uh, sorry and this will eventually dovetail into our larger discussion of whether or not marvel is really marketing a movie towards china or whether they're just saying that <laughs> based uh-huh. on some you know whatever information they have anyway sorry it was very much an asian american continuing problem where they're like we're so afraid of being racist we just won't have in the have you in the movie right at all <laughs> and that just feeds back into our continuing problem of being invisible and underrecognized and people right. not even caring who we are because you weren't in the movie dude right 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 we're, we're not even racist but you, you you don't get to be in the movie and it's like shut up and i mean the whole my whole <laughs> argument back in the day for asian american iron fist was that you take danny ran in all of the complexities that come up with that character right because he's the protagonist because he's you know a superhero with powers plus a billionaire industrious plus like mm-hmm. a really funny guy plus a fighter and a jokester and he has a friendship with luke cage and a relationship with misty knight like all of those things put an asian american person in that role and instantly he's no longer just the martial artist you know right right but like but like but that's all people could see is like well why do you want the kung fu guy to be a superhero and it's like well it's not because of the kung fu it's because he's all these other things yeah, he's a complex character. Right. But it's like, we're going to only put the Asian face on the like the one stereotype. That's right. bullshit. Like, right, we, totally. want, we want the full the full dimension. And so it, I feel the same way about the Mandarin. That if you put Tony Leung in the role, Tony Leung is not going to take a role if he's just playing a stereotype. Oh, yeah, fuck no. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? He's and not. it's like, that's why Michelle Yeoh would have been a badass ancient one. Sure. Because she could still play it and give it the same dignity that Tilda Swinton gave it without the racism. You know what I'm saying? So it's and also reminded me of like the fact that the Mandarin's a problematic character in history, at least, is not something we can change. But the reason the Mandarin is problematic in history is because he was created and mostly written by white people. Sure. You know what else was a problematic supervillain in the comics? Manape. <laughs> and if you said to someone five years ago, there's going to be a Black Panther movie. There's going to be a Black Panther movie, and and one of the characters is Manape. And not knowing that Ryan Coogler is making the movie, you would probably have a problem with that, too. You'd be worried. You would be worried. But then what happened? Ryan Coogler is making this movie. Then he's figured out a way. How can I make Manape a character with real dimensions, with real complexities, and not just a walking stereotype? And M'Baku's the coolest character in the movie. He absolutely did. So I think... The fact that you're putting Tony Leung in the role of the man, and it's and it's written by Dave Callahan, who's Asian American, directed by Dustin Critton, who's Asian American. I'm not worried. I don't have those rep sweats that people are like, what if they screw it up? Because like it's put in the hands of actual. There's more Asian Americans behind the camera on Shang Chi than there is on Mulan, honestly. Right. True. True that. So I feel like Shang Chi might be more quote unquote authentic than Mulan. <laughs> for all we know you know what i'm saying are they coming out around no no not this Dude, mulan's coming no out mulan's next year, right? year. shang chi's okay. a year after it'll, it'll be a really interesting uh compare and contrast true well and, and to your point i don't know that shang chi's a play for the china market people assume that again because we're all perpetual foreigners well yes exactly so so that's a talking point that comes up sometimes in the media which may or may not be true and i get i just brought it up because you know Related to the whole Mandarin thing, I was talking to a friend of mine, and you know, we talked, we have talked before about how when people talk about the China market, they have a fundamental misconception of what they're trying to get get at. You know, this is throughout history. Yeah. Just look up the whole history of the idea of the China market, quote unquote. Right. Again, yeah, because because you have uh, filmmakers who are more scared of being racist due to you know white fragility or just lack of 
information or something that they actually excise all the Asian characters from the narrative. And they do things like here's a 30 second cameo of Fan Bingbing in the in the Iron Man movie that actually no one really cares about. Getting back to all that, it's not racist to have the Chinese villain. Mm-hmm. It's racist to have the stupid Chinese villain that we've right, seen right, a thousand right. times and is only a martial artist. Exactly. Yes, we we've, we've 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 seen that guy way too much. And the China market, if I may be so bold as to speak, they just wanna be a good character. You know do you know what makes the Shang-Chi a play for the China market? It's the yeah. fact that it's from Marvel Studios. Sure. Because the biggest franchise in China is Marvel. Sure. That makes total so sense. The, the only reason like you could if you if you're gonna make the argument oh this is just a play for the china market well yeah because it's a marvel movie goddamn it like that's the only like through line that makes it the chinese you know movie going audience interested in it like just yeah. because you put asians in a movie doesn't mean like asians in asia give a shit because you know what they don't have to worry about representation yes they don't yeah they worry about like is this a good movie yeah and... it's like yeah, they're explodey explodies in it that's all they care yes. about but they would i mean they would care an extra amount if it's a good representation of Chinese people because they take that stuff seriously. Sure, but, sure. But they, but not, but not like a token one. Not like a, oh look, here's an Asian face. You must like that, right? No, that's not how it works, dudes. China's like we're the ones who are used to Asian faces on TV. Okay, yeah. we're used to that. <laughs> <laughs> you all are the ones who aren't used to that. <laughs> so, so yeah, so definitely, it's going to be a movie with the Mandarin. I, f- I feel like they're going to make Shang Chi the son of the Mandarin to get around the whole Fu Manchu thing. Very possibly. I is think that... there's some version in the comics where he is, too. Although, don't ask me. Yeah. It, could be a, it could be a multiverse thing. <laughs> the other thing about the Mandarin is that, like, it could be, like, a, a pejorative name that he's called, but he doesn't go around calling himself the Mandarin, right? Like, he's, like, he's this in billionaire industrialist, like, scientist, globalist, you know what I mean? And then, Oh, sure. And then, like, other business people, like, dismissively call him the Mandarin, but, like, really, he's running, like, this massive multinational... Yeah, I mean, they kind of intimated that it's a terrorist group in the first Iron Man, but I don't know that right. that's actually how they're going to be um, referencing the Ten Rings. I don't, I don't know if they're actually going to be like the mystical Ten Rings. Oh God, there this. better be. That if you see, that's the kind of thing that if they don't have the rings, then we'll be cheated. Then we'll be like, <laughs> oh, you didn't go all the way with the rings. Right. And I'll like because they're, they're arguably more powerful than the Infinity Stones. Hell yeah. There's like, and I'm going to be ambitious for a second, like the way the Infinity Stones were used as the ultimate weapon MacGuffin in the whole of the first three phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. The Mandarin's Rings can be the same way in the grand tradition of the Lord of the Ring movies and all movies that have a magical super, you know, (laughs) grail. Because like, it's worth mentioning that Marvel background stuff, Mandarin is incredibly powerful. And again, sorry, I also want to say a good point. They might not even say the Mandarin. If your issue is that the Mandarin is slightly like lazy character name, who knows? They might not even say it. The character is what's important. Right, right, right. And, and Tony Lane's so, going to bring it. Yeah, he's going to bring it. He's not, he's not only supposed to be this you know classically trained martial artist warrior, but he's also got these 10 rings, which do basically anything. <laughs> The whole, the whole bunch of movies could be like people searching for them, trying to right, assemble right, them, right. just like that Infinity Gauntlet thing. Sorry, go ahead. Here's what I love about the naming convention they're using with Shang-Chi. They're going with Shang-Chi and the blah, 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 in the like Indiana mm. Jones or the Harry Potter mold. Totally. So here's, here's what I'm envisioning, right? Here's my end credits Shang-Chi scene. You ready? Sure. 
after the adventures of uh, the movie are done, we see Shang-Chi. Maybe he's working out in his uh, gym or something, you know, like hitting a, the, one of those wooden dummies. Yeah. As you do when you're practicing, you know. As you do. Uh, Wing Chun. Uh, in walks Randall Park and says, <laughs> Hi, I'm Jimmy Woo of the Agents of Atlas. Cut to black. And the next totally. movie, Shang-Chi and the Agents of Atlas. <laughs> sure. That's not? what I want. <laughs> they could totally get that in there as the subtitles. The subtitle, yeah, it's, it's a great point, Keith. The subtitles offer so much potential for, um, you know, teasing us and introducing new things. We don't need to know that, like, Jimmy Woo left the FBI to start the Agents of All we need to, need to see is, like, Sam Jackson style. Agent Wu shows up, introduces himself as an agent of Atlas. He said, let yeah. me talk to you about the Champions Initiative or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, or the Champions, but something like that. And yeah, yeah, that's what Again, I want. Shout out to Greg Peck for assembling those Agents of Atlas. Right. Uh, so that we were kind of running out of time. We're not even halfway okay. through all of the Marvel announcements. We'll dive in really quick to the next project is not a movie. As I said, it's WandaVision. It takes place after Endgame. It's Wanda and the Vision because Paul Bettany came out on stage. They didn't say how the Vision's coming back. They did say it's going to be about like Wanda kind of messing with stuff, maybe using her magical skills. Who knows? But the cool thing about WandaVision is they announced Monica Rambeau was going to be in it. The the yeah. adult version of Monica Rambeau. And she's going to be played by... Oh, they cast her? Yeah, she's going to be played by actress Tayana Paris. Okay. Uh, and so she came out on stage. So I'm not that familiar with any how Spectrum... like interacts with like wanda maximoff or the vision in the comics i don't know that they have a lot of history together but at least monica rambeau is going to be in the show and the events of wandavision are going to tie directly into the next film in the marvel cinematic universe and that's doctor strange in the multiverse of madness which is the <laughs> coolest name and that comes out may 7th 2021 so like shang chi wow wandavision and then Doctor Strange, all back to back to back, basically. And I don't know how Shang-Chi leads into WandaVision, but WandaVision definitely leads into Doctor Strange because Scarlet Witch is going to show up in Multiverse of Madness. That totally makes sense. And maybe that's what she does. Maybe she enters a different dimension and, and steals a vision from another dimension, and that screws up, like, the dimensions. Oh, totally. That sounds good to me. I mean, when, like, that's a funny thing. I mean, apart from their associations in the comic books, I mean, I think they're all Avengers, you know, Monica Rambeau runs into Scarlet Witch now and then just doing Avengers stuff as far as I understand it's going to be a pretty overpowered bunch over there in that one show if you've got Scarlet Witch and Vision and uh, Monica Rambeau Captain Marvel who is like potentially one of the most powerful yeah. <laughs> heroes in the whole Marvel well, and, and, and then and they run into Doctor Strange I mean like those are all the like cosmically like earth shaking right right well and the reason I wonder about the fact that the Doctor Strange subtitle is Multiverse of Madness. Right. Is that the whole spring... Reference of... to In the Mouths of Madness, anyone? We think <laughs> so, right? Yeah, okay. The whole spring of 2021 is going to be all about multiverses because you have Scarlet Witch, which I'm assuming has something to do with the multiverse. Also around that time, Loki comes out and it's going to, it's definitively going to be about the Loki who escaped the timeline. It's going to be about the Loki who escaped the Battle of Good. New York in the timeline that uh, yeah. the Avengers kind of alter. Yeah, it's that Loki, and it's about him like tra traversing through history. So somehow he figures out how to use the space stone and travel through time. That's weird. That that's a good premise. I'm, I'm into that. And it's also there in the summer of 2021, the animated What If show comes out on Disney Plus, and that's takes place in the MCU. It's going to be quote unquote hosted by Jeffrey Wright playing a Watcher, and 
it's going to show different dimensions. So it's the first uh, announced episode. It's going to be an anthology series. The first announced episode is what if Peggy became Captain America? Oh, and, that's and will great. And feature Haley Atwell's voicing uh, Peggy Carter. That's pretty awesome. And they announced all of the original Avengers actors will reprise their voice roles for the animated series. Yeah. So totally we don't know what the we don't know what the other um, episodes will be, but let's say if it's a what if Tony Stark became Hulk or whatever, you would actually yeah. have Robert Downey Jr. come back. And those again will be basically showing alternate universes. So yeah. that's going to be the theme, at least of the summer of 2021. I'm pretty into that idea. I'll to to say just because like. I like the idea of the what if series. It's, you know, for those who don't know, it's kind of like Marvel's Twilight Zone series. They just create a lot of weird alternate scenarios involving what if this happened with their other characters. But it's it was always a good premise to me because, again, just back to it makes you think, what if you had a more open mind? Just Mm -hmm. what if what if this happened? What if this person that was actually played this person, you know, just like branching out and um, all these sort of working of mental muscles that i think eventually help mm-hmm. you become less racist and not trump <laughs> sorry just had to <laughs> sorry, get back yeah, to yeah, support yeah. for the squad put it back in hashtag the squad no but i think what i love that i love that it's animated because it does open up possibilities you could do a yeah. lot possibilities it's a logical way to bring in to keep the original actors like chris evans and robert denning jr part of the universe without having to actually put them in movies right speaking no, of original avenger the final Disney Plus show that was announced debuts in the fall of 2021. It's called Hawkeye. It's going to follow the adventures of Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye post-Endgame, except he's training Kate Bishop. They didn't announce who's playing Kate Bishop, but they did show that the logo is the Matt Fraction David Aja logo, which okay. is one of my favorite comic series. And yeah, if yeah, it's yeah. anything like that, I mean, one of the one of the disappointing things about Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye is that he isn't Matt Fraction Hawkeye. <laughs> But if there's one down part about the Hawkeye series is that they said they're going to explore his time as Ronin, and I don't hmm. need to see any more Hawkeye killing brown people. True. That, which is something that wasn't addressed in Endgame is the fact that he only kills Mexicans and Japanese, apparently. Yep. Uh, <laughs> A little bit lazy. So, I mean, lazy storytelling. But, you know, the PC police come back because guess what? We're getting Jane Foster Thor in <laughs> Thor Love right. and Thunder. Debuting. Which just sounds like the name of a heart tour by the oh, way yeah. I, 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 oh yeah 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 november 5th yes. 2021 the, the logo is amazing it's straight up like you said like 80s hair metal yeah totally taika waititi's back as director which means they'll have awesome music just like heart Sorry, oh yeah i'm a heart person oh yeah yeah for sure tessa thompson's back as the king of asgard valkyrie mm-hmm. thor is back uh, uh chris hemsworth is playing thor so he's not with the guardians as everyone assumed after endgame hmm. and and they said there will be a new Thor, and Natalie Portman came out and was handed Mjolnir from Taika Waititi. Here's the, you know, a lot of people are like, she's too small to be Thor, mm-hmm. and and you know what? She's the same height as Tessa Thompson. Tessa Thompson's not tall. <laughs> they just look that way on the in the movie. Yeah, screen. it's called the movie magic. <laughs> yeah. They're on Apple boxes, people. Yeah, <laughs> Natalie Portman could also be on an Apple box. Yeah, she we came out and like she and Tessa Thompson were the exact same size. So if you can buy Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. You can buy Natalie Portman as Jane Foster Thor. Yeah. And I hate people are calling her female Thor because that's, again, talking about being lazy. It's just like, oh, she's the female Thor. She's Taika Waititi had a tweet. It was like, no, 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 no. She's the mighty Thor. <laughs> <laughs> and he said it's going to be based on the, the comics when uh, when Jane took over as Thor. So, yeah. 
totally. That's so yeah. we're we're basically they've gotten to the Marvel now point of the comics because we have Sam Wilson, Cap, we have Jane Foster, Thor. We're just missing Amadeus Cho and Kamala Khan. Yeah, let's get Amadeus Cho and Kamala Khan in there with the quickness, guys. You're catching up. I mean, I'm glad you said that because for you know again the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been developing like their legacy characters for a while now, you know, the ones mm-hmm. we know from the 60s and 70s. And of course they have to, they have to start with Captain America Iron Man and all that stuff. But when you said it like that, I just went, oh yeah, they're catching up to now. And again, now is the time of increased representation and different angles on these characters. Yeah, live action Miles Morales should be yeah. anytime, any day now. I know he's got yeah. his own animated any series. Any day but... now, just throw them into that whole Shang-Chi and the search for the Ten Rings, dude. They can be, yeah. they can be I'm all done, up in I mean, that. I know Agents of Atlas is the all-Asian team, but we can, we can just make it that, just like S.H.I.E.L.D. created the Avengers, the Agents of Atlas create the champions. Yeah, and, there is no reason they can't do that. Right. Because basically, since there is no S.H.I.E.L.D., like Jimmy Woo leaves the FBI, forms Atlas. I know that's not the how the Atlas came about in the comics, but it doesn't matter. Close enough for the movie. Right. And then he forms Atlas because he realized after working with Ant-Man, like maybe superheroes are a good thing. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. So he creates Atlas to take over where S.H.I.E.L.D. abandoned us. And, and he's going to search for his own superheroes. And he meets up with Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi becomes an agent of Atlas in the sequel and then the maybe the part of agents of atlas he's looking for kamala khan totally or he's looking for miles Morales, and they form the champions you know like it's it's a replay of the iron man scene and stuff he says let me tell you about the champions initiative and i i tell you i would lose my shit in the theater if that happened it, w- it would be awesome because it's the thing we've been trying to get to and again circle back to it would be good for the resistance because <laughs> that Kamala Khan thing has to happen real soon because she is a, a wonderful character. She's the, and, the most popular and, and a character treasured that, character, yeah. right? Yeah. Can we the agree? The most popular and, character that's not a live action version yet. Totally. From our knowledge of fandom, we can say this comfortably, and we want we want to see her in the movie. And she's on a lot of different teams. Like you could do that. She is she is on the ostensibly all Asian team, the Atlas team. She's on Champions, which is where just the. Uh, generally diverse team so there are a lot of different ways you can spin it in marvel if you're listening mm. so to speak hope they're listening <laughs> we're running out of time we spent most of the time talking about marvel this is another extra long episode but hey it's post comic-con what'd you expect yeah comic-con was not just the marvel con it was a lot of other things we don't have time to cover all of it but if there was like one or two announcements that came out for you during comic-con we're going to do a modified version of what's popping what's popping out of comic-con that's not related to marvel studios I would say that Picard trailer was popping. Yes. It's popping yes, Picard. It Did you see that one? That was cool. That cool. made me actually think I'm going to subscribe to CBS All Access. I've, I've resisted for two years now because Discovery wasn't enough to make me want to get the service. Uh, no, I get that. I mean, yeah, that that's a personal debate each person must have with their, with their number of streaming subscriptions. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm a big fan of Discovery. I haven't watched all, all the recent stuff, but I'm a fan of it. Mm-hmm. And so... It was it was it was great to see a slightly slightly older and reflective Star Trek character and probably probably the most elegant captain. Oh really. yeah. My second favorite captain of all time. Cisco's will always be my favorite. Sure. But but that's what I loved about this trailer is that it fully acknowledges it takes place post Voyager, post East Space Nine. Like that's an area of Star Trek lore that I miss. Because that's my that's sure. my era. I grew up on TNG. Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek series ever. And like the last episode of Voyager, you've never seen what 
24th century, post 24th century Star Trek looks like. Everything has always been right. backwards looking since Enterprise, the J.J. Abrams movies, even Discovery have been Kirk era. Yeah, yeah totally. And they, they didn't quite want to move past that point for yeah, some and, reason. You know, Star Trek, talk about continuity Nazi. Star Trek was the original, like, <laughs> if it's not canon, it's this, but you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah and, like, totally. That's why I always thought it was weird that they would do prequels because that's wrought with like continuity landmines. <laughs> sure, that's just inviting all. Of <laughs> so I like I always I always wanted to them to return. I didn't know they were going to return by doing a Picard series, but hell, give me data, give me seven of nine. Where'd she yeah. come from? Why is seven of nine in this? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I was very psyched for. Uh, yeah, for it, it looks pretty cool. And and uh, again, to your point, if it like if we need sort of a you know, elderly, wizened, like, guide through that part of the moving forward even farther into the future than we've yet seen in the Star Trek universe. It seems like there's no better emissary than good old Captain Picard, yeah. whatever stage of life he's in. Um, yeah, so I, cool. No pun intended, because the emissary is Captain Sisko. We all know. Sorry. <laughs> no, just... We all know that if we're good Star Trek fans. <laughs> I, 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 no, but, but, but. Captain Picard guessed it. What if I said ambassador? That's a, well, no, that's no, a, no, no, no. Starships, Cap- right? Here, no, you're not wrong though. <laughs> Captain Picard guessed it on the pilot episode of Deep Space Nine, an episode titled "Emissary." So, that's, I yeah. told you, like Star Trek nerds, the whole. I, I meant to do that. <laughs> Sorry. What's nerd popping with you, Keith? Oh. Comic Con, man. There was so many things to talk about. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda was on the floor. Oh yeah. He we actually got into the Hall H panel for his Dark Materials, which looks really good. Uh, speaking of speaking of uh, Professor X slash Patrick Stewart, the James McAvoy is in his Dark Materials playing Lord Azrael, and Daphne Keene is playing Lara Bellacourt, and she famously played X twenty three in Logan. So I didn't get a question in the in the Q and A, but I wanted to ask Daphne Keene mm-hmm. which Professor X she prefers. Since <laughs> she's now worked with James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart, of course she actually played with Patrick Stewart as Professor X. But you cheeky podcast host, yeah, that that's what I wanted. I wanted question. someone, someone to ask. Which uh, Professor? No, but the thing that's nerve popping for me is interesting because I wasn't a fan of him as Superman, but Brandon Routh is coming back to play Superman in the Arrowverse crossover at the end of the right. next year. They, they, he already plays the Adam in Legends yeah, of Tomorrow. Does that, does Adam die to get? No, well, so Crisis no? of Infinite okay. Earths is going to be talking about the multiverse. Like they're going to be okay. bringing in all of these different multiple versions of the DC characters, including so, the one where they're all just actors playing superheroes. Yeah, Sorry, basically. Yeah, sure, for sure. No, but Brandon <laughs> Routh they announced clearly he's playing a version of and. I'm assuming he's playing the the Superman from Superman Returns, just older. Right on. There was a rumor Tom Welling is coming back. I don't believe the rumor because they're, they're always rumoring Tom Welling is coming to the Arrowverse and he never does. They, they did confirm Burt Ward, who played Robin in the 60s Batman show, <laughs> will be appearing in the crossover. Is it going to be like Robin Dark Knight where he's got like Yeah, I think he's going to be. And... He, yeah, I think the, the premise is he's going to be Robin from the 60s universe, but oh, Batman man. has died. So, yeah. I mean, last year they brought back John Wesley Ship as the Flash, playing the 90s Flash from his TV show. So, the premise is Crisis on Infinite Earths. They're going to take all these multiple versions of like historical DC characters and mashing them together. I'm looking forward to it. So, but yeah, the, the fact that Brandon Routh is coming back as Superman is really interesting. I didn't, I hated the movie, no lie. 
I hated right. the move, but I'm excited to see him kind of play against the other Superman who's actually part of the Arrowverse, played by Tyler Hicklin. So I do like that Brandon Routh just as an actor and personality. You know, do do we? Yeah. He, oh, he's Are, super cool. I mean, he's great yeah. on. He's actually great on Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, totally. He's he's interesting. And uh... but yeah, it was funny. We were just bemoaning all this backwards looking and being more future forward leaning. But like we just talked about Patrick Stewart and Brandon Routh. <laughs> we did. Dude, so, uh, if you're you. listening to this podcast, if you know one thing that happened that isn't a throwback to something that happened five years ago, please shout out. Because yeah, honestly, we we got a we got a broad in our yeah. It is. Dominic Ma, how can people find you on the interwebs? At melancholyball.com or when I write for the Nerds of Color blog or just as regular Dama, D-O-M-M-A-H at Twitter or Instagram. All the places. Patreon.com slash Dama if you want to support Dominic that way. You can support us, patreon.com slash Nerds of Color. Follow me on Twitter at the real child, the underscore real underscore child, and follow the Nerds of Color at the Nerds of Color on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all over social media. Subscribe and download to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, NPR One, and wherever you get podcasts. Go to hardknockmedia.com. You can find this and all of the podcasts in the network, including Southern Fried Asian, Daisy Geek Girls, Ask Bye Girls, We're Not All Ninjas, That Moment, Who Watch, The Middle Geeks, and fucking do it. This is the end of the podcast. We're signing off. We're signing off. Feeling some con crud from San Diego, but uh, maybe look for a bonus episode in your patreon feeds that's what i wanted to say yes. <laughs> if you go to patreon.com slash the nerds of color there may be some exclusive content from our meetup during san diego comic-con talk to some cool comic book people on site <laughs> dom was drinking dom was not everyone drinking, was drinking but dom was um, so look look for that on your patreon feeds and if you're not a patron yet please join us at patreon.com slash nerds color till then dominic ma we will talk to you next week yeah in closing i also want to say uh squad we see ya keep fighting the good fight in real life hashtag the squad n-o-c in full color you see me the hard knock line comics movies and tv yeah pop culture with a different perspective watch it on your screen hit play so check this